0: Now Bonino with Grimaldi and Smith. Biltula kicked out of the faceoff. Minute 57 gone. Faceoff one back to Hamus. His shot tipped into the net. And the Predators have tied it up two minutes into the second period. And now it is Kyle Turris moving and shoring. Kyle Turris swept the puck at the net. And it goes in over the glove of Jimmy Howard. 2-1 Nashville at 532. Ellis... Looks up to center ice, brought down by Colton Sissons. His shot, he scored! Colton Sissons rifles one by. The Predators take a 3-1 lead. They have three goals in a span of four minutes, 34 seconds. Buck held in the zone. Johansson battling down the right board. Berlini was there with him. Up the right side, Hirose. And now a shot and a score by Matt Duchesne from just inside the blue line. 4-1 Nashville at 736. Here's Forsberg, the shot's tough. Rebound right off the goal post. No, they say it went in. Matt Duchesne. Nashville has of the game on the power play. Scrobat number 95, Matt Duchesne. Forsberg, half court, at the point. Return to Forsberg who comes out near the point. Now... From the circle, he scores. What a ripper. He really let that <laughs> one go. Power play goal for Philip Forsberg. And that's going to do it. The uh, Nashville Predators can win this one here tonight 6 1.
1: And we welcome you into a Tuesday edition of Morning Drive here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Nick Braden, D-Base, Marquise, Pete Weber on the call last night here on 1025 The Game and the Predators radio network as the Nashville Predators defeat the Detroit Red Wings in the Motor City 6-1 to on a day where Detroit jumped out to a quick lead three minutes into the game and then, you know, one period goes by, it's one zip, Preds just playing down to their competition and then boom! flip the switch not so fast
2: yeah you went a little corso on us there a little bit i like it did you have a good night last night it
1: was great (laughs) fabulous evening (laughs) fabulous evening you ever had one of them headaches where you're just like i'm calling it a day (laughs) literally (laughs) wait wait, was it literally went dark
2: self-inflicted or self-inflicted headache okay yes i was gonna say sometimes people have a headache just from life and then they turn to well that too relief yes at the end of the At the end of the evening, once children are are done crying and screaming and are in bed,
1: that is correct, yeah, but how about the predators last night? Mm. yeah, you know, we'll let Detroit hang around a little bit, start smelling themselves, feeling <laughs> good. Mm. Well it wasn't long, it didn't last long, One nothing after the first period,
3: yeah, but then they said,
1: Joe they, Lewis Arena said, signs uh. of life said, little uh. little
3: Caesars Arena. little Caesars Get Papa right. Johns, Dominoes. <laughs> Oh, it's time to play now. Couple of goals from mm-hmm. Dutchie. They did. Um, they of goals. they they pulled the old, the old, um, the old boxing. And they let you win the first three rounds, three four rounds, and they say, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." I I might be behind in the scoreboard. Let me let me start really fighting now. A little rope-a-dope. Yeah, and, and then they just tag you and put you out in the, in it, like the eighth round because everybody's hyped. Like, yeah, they're gonna lose. He's gonna lose. The champ's gonna lose. Not that the Predators are the champs, but I'm just going to put them as the champs in this one. The champs going to lose. And then a and everybody gets quiet because <laughs> the challenger is now on now, the canvas.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and, and this is a weird number, right? Like, it wasn't like – wasn't Lavi like 1-10 in 10 against the Detroit Red Wings or something like that? And so – You get that one a little bit off your back, a little bit. The monkey there. And and, uh, Matt Duchesne with a couple of goals. Everybody getting in on the action, right? Kyle Turris gets a goal. Uh, Nick Bonino, who's been absolutely outstanding this season, gets another goal. Um, Forsberg picks up a goal. Matt Duchesne with two, I said. But they have Jofa back together uh, for a couple of games here, and it shows 60 goals now on the season. Uh, One of the highest-scoring teams. I think the second-highest goal differential in the Western Conference. So uh, you're talking about a team that's lighting people up. So this was was one of those where I think – Little beer game after a stru- minor struggles in two games, you know. Mm-hmm. I think you come back and you you put your foot down. Listen, Detroit's not only a bad team, but they're playing bad hockey. So if you're going to play a not only a bad team, but one that's I think they're like two and ten or something like that, or one and nine in their last ten. If you're going to be like it's, you got to beat bad teams, but you definitely got to beat bad teams that are playing bad hockey, and and they they took it to them last night, five goals in the second period.
1: Predators have scored now at least five goals in seven of their 16 games this season. They had 12 all of last year, which is remarkable. And if you're tracking at home and you were listening on this show yesterday, the Predators got two more power play goals, so I am well on my way to a Dan Lambert tattoo. And I even got a text message last night at like 6.15 from Willie Donick who says, don't know if you were watching the pregame show on Fox Sports Tennessee, but we just gave you a shout-out on the tattoo, so it's on now it's on television. There's no way I could ever back yeah, out of you, this.
3: No, you're not backing out of this, buddy. It's, it's, it's so full-fledged. I
2: didn't realize his strategy, Derek, but his strategy was clearly to build his brand, and yeah. so now he is on television. So good for him, and if it draws more attention to Morning Drive, I'm fine with that.
3: Oh, yeah. It Keep raises
2: on. a larger question for Willie Donick, Weird Willie. Why does Weird Willie not talk more about our show on television? It's like why is Derek, former co-host of his, exactly? Why is he not talking about you more often on on the show? You know what your next step should be.
3: If they finish number one, put put Lambert on your bum bum.
1: Well, you just settle down and get your no, laptop ready. No, put a lamp and bear just, on your bum No, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> on your tukus, it's yeah. enough. Put, just, put, just put Dan on one cheek and yeah. <laughs> lamp on the other. But I got I got McFarland tweeting me last night. Porth is tweeting me oh, two power you. play goals. Nick, get ready. Uh, you did this to yourself. <laughs> exactly.
2: Like, Everybody's gonna remind
1: you now from here on out.
2: Hey, got you on TV, man. <laughs> the, p- the things people do these days to get on television—it's an outrage. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, can that? I can I throw out one like like actually? serious take about a 6-1 win over a terrible hockey team in the middle of freaking November. By all means. Can I throw out a, a serious take here? So Ryan Ellis goes into the corner and sort of throws a it wasn't a dirty check at all. It was just a really good clean hit. It was hit a clean check. It on, wasn't on, on, dirty. On, 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 on <laughs> Did he wash it? Did he wash it? Derek, what part of I'm trying to make a serious point do you not understand? I just thought he wanted. It is 6:07. It. <laughs> I'm trying to make a serious hockey point in November. All right.
1: Yeah. Just grow uh, up, yeah. you. you infant- Come on, <laughs> God.
2: You jackals. All right. So, uh. so Ryan Ellis goes into the corner, and uh, I think it was Larkin for Detroit. It was kind of like right on his back, and he 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 plants before he gets to the boards like you do to brace yourself. Right. He plants and throws a pretty big shoulder right into Larkin's chin. Turns into a fight eventually. Um, It wasn't. It wasn't a dirty hit. It wasn't like. But it was. You know, it was one of those borderline hits where you're kind of like, okay, it was a little close to the head. But like, I understand why the other guy's upset about it, right? So it ends up being a fight. They end up getting to a scuffle. Ryan Ellis never fights, so he gets into a big fight, and they both get their penalties or whatever. I'm sitting there thinking, like, you know, I don't want anybody to play dirty. I don't want to see any players like sort of become that type of player and I don't think any Predators players in particular and not a lot of NHL players anymore are like that it's just sort of been different league yeah it's been kind of taken out of the game which I think is good for the health of the player which is good but you know what else is good for Ryan Ellis having an having an opponent who has scouted you in a playoff series having them think just for a split second when they dive into the corners on you in the playoffs that give them something to think about. I want to see more of that from Ryan Ellis. I I think that that Heap in particular, because of his size and because of how he's played in the playoffs the last couple of years, where teams have been felt totally free to go at him in the corners. Yossi, too, they will go at those guys. Winnipeg did it in the series two years ago. Dallas did it last year. They have no fear of diving deep into these corners on the forecheck in the playoffs. And so, again, it's a small, meaningless little play in a game in November. But what I want to see out of Ryan Ellis is more of that stuff. And I'm not saying he's not a really good defender or, or whatever. But like, just maybe play on the edge where it's almost dirty but not really dirty. But it's still just give everybody still something. Get give everybody something to think about before they just go diving into the corners on every single forecheck in the playoffs. Because if they if you do and if they study tape on you and they're like, man, he's going to pop you, mm-hmm. you might think twice about how hard you dive into that corner. I, I just I don't know why my brain went there. I just looked at it and I said, you know what? I need more of that. I want to see that side of Ryan Just sending a
1: message that, hey, I'm not going to get pushed around like I did in that playoff series.
2: Exactly. And so I I think last night a totally minor play that really meant like a whole lot of nothing in a blowout game. But I'm watching it going like, man, I want to see more of that from him for the rest of the year so that when guys are putting on tape and studying the Predators in the playoffs for a seven-game run – that they go, you know what? We can't just we just can't we can't just push around these guys and dive into the corners. We gotta we give them something to think about. Like, hey, he might he might pop you under your chin a little bit. Oh yeah, and it may not be clean, it may not be dirty, but it's sort of that borderline. But it makes you think about it, yeah. it and it might slow you down when you dive into the corners during the
1: playoffs.
3: One person that that um that is having, I think he's gonna have a. It uh, he, he might end up being a career year, and it's going to. It's going to make the Predators have to really seriously think about what they do during the trade deadline and or at the end of the season. It's Kyle Turris. He has half of his goals for the whole year, I believe, in in, in only what,
1: 15, 15 games? games?
3: He has half of his goals in, in over 15 games. This guy is back to form, I believe. If he stays healthy, they're going to have to make a real decision do and we talked about this seven goals in yeah. fifty
2: five games last year. Exactly.
3: We talked about this at the beginning of the season, you know, the scenario, what do they do with Kyle Turris? And and I know this is kind of far down the line, but what do they do with Kyle Turris? Do they trade him at the trade deadline to try to get something for him or do they hold him on during hold to hold on to him during the whole season? I mean, he started he's his play has picked up tremendously. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do if he continue to play the way he yeah. has been playing um because right now I mean, their four lines are better than any I, any line in the NHL right now. All four of their lines, they I, there's nobody that has four
1: lines that can compete with the Predators the, right now. The, the
2: Preds don't need the greatest general manager of all time. I've got the answer to that question. I'll mm-hmm. tell you after the break.
1: There you go. Exactly
2: S- what they should do with Kyle Turret.
1: 615-737-1025. The number, it is Morning Drive. We are live from the Wholesaling Studio, powered by RumbleOn.com. We'll get that answer when we come back. Uh, also, one guy totally unexpected is a goal scoring machine. And there's a guy on Adimez. You just alluded to Kyle Turris. I think we might have the new Kyle Turris in Nashville. I'll explain next morning drive. It is Morning Drive, ESPN 1025, The Game. Nick Braden, D-Mace Marquise with you. 615-737-1025 if Preds fans want to jump in on the conversation. Floyd Reese at the bottom of the hour. Casey Alexander to kick off hour number three of the show. But you don't need to be David Poyle. Nope. Nope. You have the answer for Kyle Turris.
2: Yeah, I want to lay this plan out for you and see what you guys think. Because I, 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 I always kind of felt this was the way I... I thought I was going to see this playing out, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I needed to see Kyle Turris actually perform well for this to work out, right? Mm-hmm. If he, let's just say hypothetically, he's even eighty percent of his former scoring total, right? Let's say sixty points. Let's say he scores fifty points this year, or forty five points. He's twenty goal scorer again, and he's producing like he is right now. Let's say, right? He's got eight points, four goals, four assists mm-hmm. in in fifteen games. That puts him on pace for about you know forty five points, which is a nice bounce back season considering he had twenty three last year, seven goals. I think you keep him all season. I think you keep him all season because he helps you win a cup this year. He gives you a depth scoring piece. He gives you versatility in the lineup. And if you are telling me that he is going to play at this level, which, again, has not been elite, but clearly back to closer to his level Mm -hmm. of performance that he has shown us over the course of his career, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think you keep him for the cup run and you move him in the off
1: season.
2: 100%. I think I you know. trade him in the off season because a his trade value has gone back up again. Mm-hmm. You still get to keep the player when you need him most, which is the playoffs and the Stanley Cup run. And you know you're going to need to dump salary before Roman Yossi's 9.059 AAV kicks in next year. Uh, you let you let Grandland or Smith walk. You trade Turris. There's your there's your 10 million bucks right there. So, uh, to me, that gives you the best of all the worlds, right? You dump the contract, Mm -hmm. you get something in return, but you also have a player that's playing well enough to help you win a cup.
1: Well, when they do decide to do that and move some salary because of those big contracts kicking in, I sure hope it doesn't come at the expense of Nick Panino. Not because he looks like me, but because the way he's (laughs) playing right now, and I know he's playing way above what his career indicates, but eight goals, four assists, he's got 12 points in 16 games, Right now, he only trails Yossi, Ellis, and Duchesne in points. Nick Benino all of a sudden has become an absolute monster.
2: He scored 22 in 14, 2014. He had a 49-point season that year. He's never had 40 points again before or since that season. 15 goals for Vancouver in uh, 15. He had 18 for Pittsburgh the year they won the Cup and beat the Predators. He scored 12 and 17 each of the last two. This is not a guy who scores 20 goals. Mm. So he's on pace for like... he's on pace for like 36 goals like the odds of that happening are probably slim and Mm -hmm. slip to none but what Bonino does that Kyle Turris doesn't do is all the dirty dirty work on the other end of the ice he he will kill penalties he will block shots he's a great defensive two-way player so I'm with you if if you get this out of Nick Bonino he's not an option to move because he's too valuable of a third a third line center because of all the stuff he does on both ends of the ice
1: all right can I rip somebody now because we, we we we've been nice for like 19 minutes, and that's it was all, a six one win. That's Come all good. There's no nice. room for negativity. Uh, here, here, exactly. I got got to I got to dig into somebody just the a Stanley little bit. Stanley is it's it's gonna get there. My, my my talons into somebody's okay. flesh for oh, just a moment. Geez. So what the
2: hell? was that a crying baby? We, I don't was, know. Is that a baby falcon that's I think it's
1: hungry? Falcon. Was that Dan Quinn crying <laughs> at a Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Uh, because he can't <laughs> win a game. Uh, Mikael Granlund or Mikael, however you guys want to pronounce the guy's name. I've heard it 5,000 different ways. I'd like to actually hear it, Kelly well, Stauffer it, say it, it on it, uh, ESPN. It,
2: it, He'd probably get it right. If you're from Europe or Asia or Russia, I think you can say Mikael. Yeah. Uh, like, I think that's fine. We're Americans. We yeah. say Mi- Mi- Mikael.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So so this guy, Granlund, right? <laughs> La- last night, he gets demoted to the fourth line. Seeing the lines get tweeted out from Adam Vingen about a half hour before puck drop, and I also see a tweet that he's gone nine straight games going into last night without a point. He did not register a point last night, so that is 10 straight games without a point. We are 16 games into this season. I believe he played roughly 18 regular season games last year, give or take. So just rounded up, dummy math. He's played basically half a season as a Nashville Predator. Uh, and I feel like he has been drastically unimpressive. And I, I, you know, for a guy that was supposed to be a second line guy on the wing after the trade deadline last year, with for the playoff push, I I just don't feel like he's done much of anything.
2: Well, he's not on the the power play very often, right? He's got no no points to show for being on the power play right now. Um, He's playing. He's got two goals, two assists, four points. That's underwhelming for a five point seven five million dollar a year player. Um, but he, but he also played a really good, he had, he was really good to start the season like that, that Forsberg, Duchesne, Grandlin line was, was pretty solid when they were scoring five, six goals a year, the first a game, the first couple of weeks of the year. So I'm not ready to go, you know, that hard on, on him yet. Um, you know, Craig Smith has a goal. I, I think you could argue Craig Smith needs to be in that conversation. Like, Hey dude, where's, where's the production? Um, you know, you, you've, you've, you've given us 22 and 24 goals somewhere in there. Every year of your career except for one where you just had this really bizarre bad season. Is, is Craig Smith on pace for another one of those? Because, again, Craig Smith is a goal scorer, and this team is scoring tons of goals, and he's not one of them. Like, if you told me Nick Benito is going to have eight goals after 15, after 16 games, 15 games, and Granlin and Smith would have three, I, I would have lost a bet.
1: True, but I just feel like Craig Smith has more accolades. It? Now, granted, certainly been here much longer but like, I'm willing to give Craig Smith more of the benefit of the doubt because I know what he's done as a Nashville Predator you've mentioned short of one season. The guy's a 20-goal scorer year in and year out. I just feel like Grandland, and this is only on you know roughly 36 games or whatever it is as a Predator, it's like, okay, Kyle Turris has refound his form, and Grandland has picked up the Turris role of underachieving at close to $6 million a year.
3: I mean, sometimes it happens that way. You know, one guy picks his game up and another guy – you know, the game starts to falter a little bit. Um, I, I think it it, it all even, evens out. Um, maybe Grandlin picks his game up, you know, as we get further along in the season. Um, because, again, these are decisions they're going to have to make ultimately at the end of the season. Um, because if say if Granlin doesn't pick up his game, and he's making what close to six million? Five point seven five. So if you said, Okay, if I had to choose between Granlin and Granlin and, and tourists, if I'm dumping salaries, I'm dumping Granlin and I'm keeping Tours. Uh, if it's all about a ro, a, if it's it's a if it's about a salary dump based upon production yeah. this season, then you know, because...
2: Well, you just let him walk, too. Yeah, He's not you, under contract, yeah, you so. let him
3: walk, and you don't sign him back. So, and that's, that's money you can put toward, you know, the Yossi deal. The, the, that, the problem that is in next year.
2: The problem is you need two of them. You need two of the contracts to cover the Yossi contract. And so, if it's Smith and Grandland, if it's Grandland and Turris, if it's Smith and Turris, if it's... You know, like, you got to come up with two mm-hmm. of them, because... Smith's making four and a quarter. He's a free agent. Granlin's 5.75. He's a free agent. And Turris is making six. So you're going to have to sort of come yeah, up two with out of
3: two of the three have to be Two of the three probably have yeah. to
2: be gone. And, and you could, you just gave Sissons an extension. You just gave you know Watson an extension. Like you're, you're, you're making it clear. Like David Poyle used the word clarity a lot when he talked about the Roman Yossi mm-hmm. deal. He said, now we've got clarity because I think it crystallizes what his next steps are going to be moving forward. Now, the question is, do you want to let two guys just walk? and get nothing in return, that, that that could be what you want to do and keep Taurus because he's under contract and you see the light coming on for him. Um, you know, Grandlin's a guy who scored in his first, second full season in the NHL. He scored 41 points. He had 39 his third season, 44, 69, 67 points. Still, a young, still only 27 years old. Um, he had 49 points last year for Minnesota in 63 games. Mm-hmm. that's a ridiculous so he's
3: clip like he's,
2: he's not that far he's yeah i mean he's not that far off the difference is Turis had played for a year and a half uh-huh. here and grandlet's played for 31 games and 31 games is just not a lot of games so um i i see your point nick i think it's a fair criticism i just think it's a little early 31 games is not even half a season you still got you still need 11 more games before you even get to a half a season to to say hey this is what we think he is or is not so I th- I still think we're a ways away from that but two of those guys probably have to go at the end of the year and you and you probably would lump Nick Benino in with that group yeah those but, are the four names but he's probably playing better the only reason you'd lump Nick Benino in is because he's you know he's, he's an older player at 30, 30 whatever 32 years old he's you know four and a half, four and a quarter for himself as well
1: ESPN 1025, the game is sending one lucky listener and a guest to Dallas with the Winter Classic Celebration Flyaway. Just like yesterday, we will qualify one person today on the show. Make sure you are listening in the 7 o'clock hour today on this show, and then again at 11 o'clock on Darren Donick and Chase and 3 o'clock. The winner will be announced on Friday, November the 15th during Jared and the GM at 530 We will give you more details later in the show, but be listening for the cue to call that is coming up at some point in the 7 o'clock hour. Coming up next, our GM, Floyd Reese, on ESPN 1025 The Game. It is morning drive, ESPN 1025 The Game. Nick Braden, d Smart Marquise with you here on this Tuesday edition of the show. As we transition from the Preds to the Titans right now, we welcome in our general manager and co-host of Jared and the GM, Floyd Reese is with us here on a Tuesday. Floyd, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing
4: great. How about you guys?
1: We're doing well. I'm always curious because I feel like when you see a team that had 11 penalties, four sacks, three turnovers, like the Titans did on Sunday, like Monday I came on and I said, you know, Mike Vrabel had these guys unprepared for and ready, not ready to go for a football game but after I think about it, I'm like, is it really Vrabel's fault or is it the players for the lack of discipline? So like when that when that type of game happens on a Monday as a GM, who are you placing blame on?
4: You know, I I mean, I'm not sure you can place blame on anyone and yet you can place blame on everyone. Um, you know, it's that has not been our trend. And and I think if this was something that had gone on all year long, You know, if we had double-digit penalties and had three, four, five turnovers a game, then you would say, okay, now there are real issues here. We've got to change a bunch of stuff. But we have been anything but that. You know, I think last year we were like the best in the league in penalties and have been, you know, decent all the way through. Haven't turned the ball over a bunch. We haven't done those things. And then you get into a game like this, as important as it was, and, and it all happens. And, you know, if if uh, somebody in the football world had an answer to that, they'd be living on their own island someplace.
3: <laughs> now you have this this team over the last three years, uh, nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven. Um, they got a playoff spot in there, won a game uh, in between two nine and seven seasons. Now they're on the verge to finishing um, less than nine and seven um, this this season. Uh, where does that put? Um, the GM and the head coach, and I only add the head coach in here is because it was the GM's hire, and they went from a playoff coach um, to, you know, to a coach that hadn't been proven. And last year, yes, he had, he worked through a lot of things last year, and he was learning on the fly. But this year it seems like, you know, he's taken – this team has regressed. And if the team has regressed, he has regressed as a as a head coach. So where did this team sit with the GM and the head coach moving forward?
4: You know, I, I think you have to look at it and say, and you know this better than anybody, I mean, depending on who you play, when you play them, healthier players, your situation, all of these things change from year to year. And and the tendency is, and and I understand it, you know, the tendency is always compare it to last year or the year before, or and yet, you know, if you just look at our division, let's say, you know, over the last two, three, four years, I mean, the division is so much stronger right now than it was last year, the year before. Um, and, and yet, you know, I mean, you've, you've still got to go out and win in those situations. But I think you have to be careful to jump to a bunch of conclusions early. Um, you know, they're going to take the GM, the head coach, they're going to take their hits. And just like the quarterback, you know, if the quarterback's not playing, if the team's not doing well, quarterback's going to take hits. Is it deservedly so? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But it doesn't matter. You know, you're the quarterback, you're going to take hits. You're the head coach, you're going to take it. GM, you're going to take it. I mean, the the only area in my mind, I think, that you look at this team and think, okay, they, they aren't um, – they aren't better than the team was maybe two years ago let's say is is right now the offensive line you know, and as you know on an offense I mean if your offensive line is struggling you're going to struggle and and you can't you know you go into a game of this magnitude with it facing this front. And you've got a, a journeyman center and a rookie right guard, and a left tackle that decided that this was going to be a game that was going to be one of his worst. I mean, you know, the the chances of you pulling something out get slimmer and smaller and a lot more hard.
2: Floyd, I, I I look at the way this team on offense plays in the first half, and I and I we all acknowledge all the issues. The receivers aren't getting open. The offensive line, like you said, is probably the worst or or is at least regressing from what we expected um after heavy investment in the offseason um the idea that this team has got zero points in the ha- in the first half like four different times this year especially when we all looked at a Carolina defense and saw how bad the rushing defense was and then you see Derrick Henry get two carries how, how much of 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 the game plan and not being prepared or not being you know, having the right strategy in place. Like, how much of Arthur Smith's decisions going into a game are you concerned about, and and how much of that is on just personnel or how a game plays out? Like, how much of it truly is the offensive coordinator didn't prepare his offense for a football game?
4: Well, I, I mean, I don't know how you prepare. You know, you get the first series, you march right down the field, you miss a field goal with your kicker. Okay, you don't prepare for that. Then you turn around, the next time you get the ball in the series, you're like behind 10 to nothing. Then, you know, you get the ball again, and you're behind 17 to nothing. Well, when it's 17 to nothing and you're in the second quarter, I mean, whatever game plan you had is is very likely out the window. You know, now you're struggling. Derek doesn't get his touches. Why? Look at how many times we had penalties, and instead of being first and 10, second and seven, it's first and 10, first and 20 first and 30 you know i mean we we had series where we were going we were getting penalized a lot more yards than we were gaining and and i think when those kinds of things happen you know to line up on first and, and 25 or 20 and say okay we're going to you know run the ball down their throats i mean that's what they're hoping you try to do so i i don't know you know i mean I, again i don't know how you analyze that other than to say you know, I think everything turns into a scramble at that point in time, where now you're trying to say, okay, what's the best thing we can do? I mean, in my mind, the first half of that game, the only guy that played that approached what you were hoping you would see was the quarterback. And he threw some – you know, he throws one to Brown, it's off his hands, the interception. Uh, you know, it's an interception. And it'll go on his record, but – I don't know how you blame him for that and and you know you look at at the ability to move the team i mean there were times there where we were we were struggling to stay ahead of the penalties and ahead of the fumbles and ahead of the whatever else happened so uh, you know it's really really hard and i think you just have to you know kind of analyze it try to figure it out realize that you know what could he have done different in that situation you know and and the average fan's going to say, well, he should have run Derek more. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I think that it's first and 30. The defense is saying, fine, give it to the running back. We'll give you six or seven.
1: Floyd, last year we saw this team win a couple of games that not many people anticipated them winning, most notably the Eagles and the Patriots at Nissan Stadium. This week you have the Kansas City Chiefs coming to town. They're a decisive road favorite. Is there any reason to believe that we can get one of those type of wins this year like we did last year, or is this going to be an uphill climb?
4: Oh, it's going to be an uphill climb. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You look at this Kansas City team and you, you know, you just look at the, at the running back, what he did last week. You know, they've got it all pro tight end. You know, they've got a group of receivers that, you know, can outrun, they outrun everybody except the other receiver, you know, <laughs> or the running back, the running back pops and he's running 20 or 21 miles an hour for a 91 t- yard touchdown run. And the only person that can catch him is his receiver. And so, you know, they're they're a special team. They really are. It looks like the quarterback's going to be back. I mean, it's going to be tough. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And yet, you know, if you're one of the Titans, you're going into this thing, you know, thinking to yourself, hey, we can pull off of Philadelphia. We can pull off of New England. Um, But they're going to need some, you know, an awful lot
2: of help. All right, I want you to put your scouting cap on, and if you have not done so yet, I am now personally and publicly requesting this of you. I would like to know what you think of Tua Tungavailoa, Joe Burrow, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, any of these guys that could be potentially grading out as first-round picks next year. What have you seen from them as far as NFL upside, and are any of them, in your mind, guaranteed starters and successful players?
4: Mm, You know, I, I mean... From what I've seen, and I haven't seen every game, I mean, the one that looks the most, um, NFL ready that I've seen a bunch is probably Burrow. And yet, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that. Um, Tua, I, you know, you have to love Tua for what he's done, and yet, you know, those injuries are a concern. And, and you don't want a guy that's going to come into the league. I mean, You know he's struggling to stay healthy there, and and you know probably will end up with a team that won't have as good a protection as what he had in college. So you know where does that end up? Um, You know Herbert, the guy guy at uh, Oregon, I mean he looks like the real deal. But again, I haven't seen, you know I've seen probably bits and pieces of three games. Um, So I don't know. You know it's still wide open. There's a lot to do. I'll tell you. If, in fact, they head in that direction, there will be so much scrutiny and so much time spent on those guys that, I mean, you'll know more about them than you want to know.
1: Floyd, always a pleasure. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. You got it. Floyd Reese joining us every Tuesday here on Morning Drive. So there you go. He likes Burrow, I think, maybe a little bit more than Tua, probably because of the injuries. Uh, Yeah. Um, Derardi, it, he's entitled to be you know, wrong. it...
3: I mean, I think Tua's going to be uh, a good quarterback in this league. Um, he's going to have to adjust to guys not being completely wide open. Um, and he's going to go to a team that maybe, just maybe, don't have much going on for themselves, i.e. the Miami Dolphins. Um, so he's going to take his lumps. Um, but I think he's going to be a good pro, Um Herbert, I hadn't seen. I hadn't watched much of Oregon games, so I don't know. But he's he's dead on. The more and more I watch Joe Burrow's, the the kid is just. I mean, if there's any quarterback now, things can change, and you know he can get in the pros, and it, it told it, it can be a dumpster fight. I don't know. But from what I've seen, if there's any person that's ready for the NFL, it's him.
2: I, I agree. I I think LSU has a better pro prospect at quarterback than Alabama this weekend. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't mean he's a better player. (laughs) Yeah, It doesn't mean he's a better college player. It doesn't mean he's going to have a better college career. Uh, If you're just saying, which one would I take right now? If I'm on the clock, am I taking Tua or Joe Burrow?
1: So right now the Bengals would have the first pick because yeah, they're say, the only the, winless the, team. The Bengals mm-hmm. are
2: actually the team that's on the clock right Dolphins now.
1: Dolphins actually have won a game by accident
2: and might fall into Chase Young at two. Well, and they, well, they beat the Redskins who have one loss or one win, so they're but actually the number Redskins two.
3: Not taking a quarterback, you the know. The Redskins
2: that. are number two, so the Dolphins are actually number three right now. But um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I still would rather have Chase Young this year and try for Trevor Lawrence next year. I would try to make it a two-year draft. You're talking class? about the
3: Miami Dolphins.
2: Anybody, oh. whoever, whoever you are. I would t- I would shoot for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. That's the one I'm going all in for. I'm not going all in for any. My my and I want Floyd to really study this stuff as, as much as anybody because I want to know at the end of the year. I don't see it out of Justin Herbert. I, I don't I, I don't know why people see the, the, this superstar NFL player. I don't. He's a really nice player. I don't see it. S- like Tua, I think is going to be fine in the NFL, but I don't think there's any guarantee. Um, I think Burrow's got the most complete package from a size skill leadership teammates love him arm strength running an nfl offense all that stuff um you know jake Fromm. there's questions about his arm strength more of a late first round Derek carr type guy i just don't i just don't see a guy that is worth going all in for at number one even joe burrow i I Mm -hmm. like him a lot i just don't see it as far as trevor like compared to trevor lawrence next year it's not even close Mm -hmm. in, in my opinion and i think most nfl gms said that last year right he'd be the number one pick last year trevor lawrence NFL GMs were on the record saying that. Yeah, yeah. I would would be, if I'm an NFL team, Bengals, Redskins, Dolphins, whoever, any of these teams that are really, really, really bad, I'm shooting for the number one pick in 2021.
1: Coming up next, the clock is ticking on one man, and it was said by one individual yesterday on this show. Details coming up next on Morning Drive.
2: Yeah, no, the the clock went on as soon as they benched Marcus Mariota. The clock, as soon as they benched Marcus Mariota, the clock was ticking. Because they've got to find the next guy. And if the next guy isn't the guy, then they're all gone. That's why I said 2021, we're going to find out if this coaching staff and if this, uh, and if this GM and his group are going to continue or not. Because if they don't have the right quarterback
1: at that point and can't get this team to the next level, then they're going to find somebody else who can That was Corey Curtis from News 2 yesterday joining us here on Morning Drive as he does every Monday at 7, coming off of a Titans game. And D-Mace, you asked him that very question yesterday. So when we look at the clock ticking on John Robinson, I'm curious, he mentioned the benching of Marcus. Mm -hmm. But I would think that when you're a GM who comes into a franchise with one head coach, makes a change at that position, and goes with another head coach, that the clock actually started the day Vrabel was hired. So where are we leaning? Is it more the clock ticks with Mike Vrabel or with the benching of Marcus Mariota? Um,
3: I think it got expedited with the benching of Marcus Mariota uh, because, you know, when you fire, um, for whatever reason, uh, when you fire a guy that won you a playoff game um, that year, then when you hire the next guy, I think the owner is like, okay, all right, you, you made this decision. Now he, he needs to be worth this decision. Now we he's a first-year head coach. We'll give him some years. But this team needs to be trending up. Well, the next following year they were 9-7. and seven. But then the team seems to regress in year two of his tenure. And he benches the starting quarterback that they drafted second overall. I think that speeds the clock up just a little bit more on the GM. And it's unfortunate that the head coach is then collateral damage because he's the guy that the GM chose to hire in place of a guy that won you a playoff game. Uh, I never understood that move. Um, it, it, it was not, – not many teams make a move like that. Not many teams say, you know what, you went to the playoffs, great. You won a game, great. But now we're going to fire you after you after you had a nine and seven season. Mm-hmm. Then you came back with another nine and seven season, and made the playoffs, but up uh, we're going to we're going to dismiss you now. We don't need your services anymore. Uh, you better get the ship right, the ship, I people, ship, ship right um and if you don't (laughs) or the the other one too (laughs) yeah or the other one get the ish right um if you don't then you know this is a this is a hardcore business and they praised you when you came in and people are going to be you know crucifying you as you leave because this team regressed they didn't get any better they regressed uh to a point where you know you're not gonna even win nine games you might not even go eight and eight if they don't go eight and eight, then I think it's a huge disappointment and an indictment on everybody.
2: Yeah, I think the everybody line is is pretty fair. If if they don't, again, I I thought this team was going to be ten and six and be a good football team and, and compete for the division title. And so far, we can't say that that's definitively one way or the other. Um, it's not trending in a positive direction. Um, to your original question. And I think that's an everybody problem, right? If you don't accomplish your goals as a team, you win as a team, you lose as a team, a coaching staff, you know, a collection of players, a front office, you're all together in this at the end, and everybody deserves blame. But more of the blame falls on the head coach, the general manager, and the quarterback, like more more so than the two coordinators, probably more so than anybody really probably deserves. Um, I, I think the clock started officially, and this is the same I feel with athletic directors in college, like... Philip Fulmer should be evaluated on his hire of Jeremy Pruitt, mm-hmm. f- almost first and foremost. So football is the, most, is the most important, most financially viable thing that you do as an athletic director at a power, power, power university. Well, what are the two things you do as a general manager? And one is hire a football coach in the NFL and build a roster. Mm-hmm. And the most important part of building the roster is the quarterback. So can you find a quarterback, and did you hire the right coach? I mean, the clock for me started when he hired Mike Vrabel. Because there's not many coaches that win a playoff game for a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game in two decades that that would then get fired. So it, it is – how it happened is part of this equation, right? That it happened in such a weird way and that it sort of went down the way it did and that fans were sort of torn. Not everybody was torn. I mean, most people didn't think Malarkey was the right guy with the upside, and that's fair. Um, some did. Some liked him. Some thought he deserved another shot. So – because it was sort of mildly controversial, I think that's that's why it started with him. The the move from Marcus, he almost kind of... He doesn't get a pass on it because he did something to bring in a backup that actually helped the situation.
1: For two games. At,
2: at, at, for basically no money, though, right? True. Like for yep. $2 million. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a, well, I can't remember what the draft pick was. He gives up a draft pick to go get a better option. W- w- well, what could be a better option. And... Has you know his decision on who he selects is how we will evaluate. It's not that Marcus has been benched. It's that if he decides to trade up to get Joe Burrow or whoever, or he gives twenty two million dollars to Teddy Bridgewater, whatever his decision is, that's the decision we judge it on. Not whether or not Marcus, because he didn't draft Marcus, so he doesn't yeah. get. It's not. It's not sort of hanging around his neck.
3: Here's something, uh, and I haven't heard anybody bring this up. Nobody, uh, and I brought it up to TD yesterday as we were walking out. Uh, because the Tennessee Titans are going to be in the market for quarterback. Now, whether, you know, is Bridgewater, I, as much as I like Bridgewater, I'm not going that route if I'm a GM. I'm not. Because ultimately, you got to, I think you you, you just got to get your young quarterback. To- totally agree. Yeah, you got to get your young quarterback. Whoever that young quarterback is, you got is, is, him. Is
2: Teddy Bridgewater significantly better than paying Ryan Tannehill exactly, a bridge contract for exactly. Marcus?
3: I mean, He's not. Yeah, I mean, Bridgewater's better, but is he going to make your team that much better? Well,
1: Bridgewater's going to get far more dollars than Tannehill. I'll take Tannehill at a cheaper price. And and he's
2: great with the Saints. Exactly. (laughs)
1: And
3: their offense and the way they run it. But here's the thing, and y'all answer this question for me, and we can get more into it later. If they are in the market for a quarterback, if they don't fire the head coach, which I don't think they will, do you trust Arthur Smith with the young quarterback. No, I don't. You're right.
1: And I I don't trust him because, A, his offensive line is trash. You're right. So he's already got like negative things working against him because Mm -hmm. the offensive line— the bottom line is—oh, and by the way, speaking of offensive lines, the Cowboys last night on Monday Night Football, Mm -hmm. Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, 31% of their salary cap invested in the offensive line, Mm -hmm. six pro bowlers, and three all pros. John Robinson invests in the offensive line, just doesn't have this success. Well,
2: I can't tell if the Cowboys are a good football team, though. No. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, They're overrated. Like, like, what, what are they? Like, I actually honestly don't know how good the Cowboys are. Now, they they lost some games when they didn't have two of those pieces, mm-hmm. right? Like Tyrone Smith was out, and the other guy was out. Uh, uh, Collins. Lael Collins is out as well for a couple of games, and they lost. And so maybe to your point, Nick, that's why they deserve credit for, for investing the way they did. Again, they they were going to take Johnny Manziel and instead took an All Pro offensive lineman. Yep, that was the smart, savvy thing to do. The Titans could be faced with that exact same decision. Like, do you take the flashy quarterback at seventeen, or do you take uh, an ugly, you know, the big ugly a- along the offensive line? I'm sure he could be very handsome in real life. I'm just I, d- I didn't mean to insult the offensive line prospect here. <laughs> like, it, do you take the big ugly that's not sexy, that doesn't win you the press conference, that fans aren't you know jazzed about the next morning? Or do you take what could end up being a total bust at quarterback? Yep. Which is the smarter strategy? And to build the offensive line, like especially at center, mm-hmm. where you know you need a guy that is clearly going to be the next guy, right? Mm-hmm. If you had a chance to take the best center in the draft at the 16th overall pick or the 15th overall pick this year, or even a tackle to replace Conklin, and then all of a sudden you come back the next year and you get a quarterback, your, your quarterback's going to be in a better situation to succeed, and you may know at that point whether or not Arthur Smith is the guy or not.
1: But, but to your point, no. Yeah. Uh, I I don't trust, I don't think Arthur Smith's a guy. I didn't think he was a guy that they, the, the, the day they hired the guy.
2: Yeah, I'm
3: not. He hasn't. I, I isn't. am not, in this situation, based upon what we've seen, he's not a, I'm not saying he's a bad office coordinator but there's a difference in not.
1: deserving the chance yeah which is what everybody sold us uh-huh. yeah he was true. in the organization for and seven he probably years does. He, he was probably on all these did, coaching you know? staffs he he didn't work for his dad at ups he started at the bottom <laughs> there's a difference between being deserving of a job and being the best available for that position
3: yeah yeah you're
1: right about that he
3: did he deserve the job more probably yes now was he the best guy for the job probably not i don't know um, but it's the Peter Principle. Yeah, but if I am drafting a quarterback this year, do I trust him with that quarterback moving forward? Yeah. And the answer, based upon what we've seen, is probably not.
2: I, I think it's too soon to say definitively whether or not he is or is not the answer at offensive coordinator. Is that we're only eight games in? He doesn't have a starting quarterback, and the offensive line is trash. So, like, it's not. A, I don't think it's necessarily hundred percent a fair shake on him yet. But he hasn't answered a single question. He, he hasn't any question we had when he was hired has not been def- answered in the positive yet. Right? We haven't said anything. We we can't point to anything definitively and say, "Oh, well, that's clearly better than we thought." It
3: I is. think we've seen enough so, to know. You think so? Yeah. I Eight think games is I, enough. I, yeah. I think I've seen enough as a that he there's probably Nine. there's somebody out there better. I'm not saying that he's bad, okay. but moving forward, if they're going to draft a young quarterback. I think they need someone else. And not to say again, not to say that he's a bad coordinator, yeah. but I just think they need someone else and I, I to would, coach that potential number one guy.
2: Yeah, I, I would compare that to Mark Stoops getting the Florida State job. Mm-hmm. If he's given the job from Kentucky, I view that as being promoted beyond the point of your competency. Like Arthur Smith is probably a really good special teams coach, a really good offensive line coach, a really good tight ends coach. You know, all the oh, he was a really good tight he's, ends. Coach. He's a really good member of a staff, but he might have been promoted. Beyond the point of of where he can excel, like I think Mark Stoops is perfect when there's no expectations at Kentucky and you need to go seven and five mm-hmm. I don't know if Mark Stoops is the guy that can win national championships at Florida State when the expectations are through the roof. Yeah. So that's called being, that's the Peter Principle right there. And I don't, maybe Arthur Smith's a victim of that.
1: Coming up tonight is the first playoff rankings revealed by the College Football Playoff Committee. But on this show, for weeks and weeks and weeks, we do our top four Tuesday in the world of college football. We will do that when we come back because Derek Mason, what is today? It is top. For Tuesday! And if you want tacos, you can have those.